Regardless of age, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, religious affiliation, political persuasion, or any other diversifying factor, porn can impact anyone. If you've recognized the harmful effects of pornography in your life, or recognize the harms pornography can cause on society, we welcome you to become a fighter. As fighters, we strive to be bold, understanding, open-minded, and accepting. If you're ready to become an official fighter, we invite you to join the movement at ftnd.org forward slash fighter. That's ftnd.org forward slash F-I-G-H-T-E-R. Join us in our fight for love by becoming a fighter today. What's up, people? My name is Garrett Johnson, and you're listening to Consider Before Consuming, a podcast by Fight the New Drug. And in case you're new here, Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science, facts, and personal accounts. We want these conversations to be educational, uplifting, and hopeful. As we sit down with experts, influencers, activists, and people with personal accounts, we cover a wide variety of topics that may be triggering to some. You can refer to the episode notes for a specific trigger warning. Listener discretion is advised. Today's episode is with Christian Watson. He's the founder of 1924 US, which is a branding agency. First things first, you should probably go check out 1924's Instagram because it's a very unique account and it will give some context to parts of our conversation. You can find a link to their Instagram in the episode notes. Christian experienced sexual abuse as a child and turned to porn as a coping mechanism for quite some time. During this conversation, we discuss how pornography negatively affected him and his relationships. Today, Christian lives a life free from pornography and its influence. With that being said, let's jump into the conversation. We hope you enjoy this episode of Consider Before Consuming. Okay. Uh, can you hear me at all? Yeah, I can hello, hear hello, you. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, look at that. Okay, good. Hey, I just want to say thanks so much um, before we get into this. I, I really appreciate you having me on and um, wanting to talk to me. I've been following you guys now for a couple of years, and it's it's pretty cool. I'm excited to be at this stage. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, same to you. We want to express the same level of gratitude to you. It's It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm excited. Hey Garrett, can I ask you real quick, just so I have a better understanding of you? Yeah. Um, what 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 is your role in in Fight the New Drug? I am a presenter, and you know I host the podcast and develop the podcast. So when I say presenter, the way that I started with Fight the New Drug was it was like six years ago, and I heard a presentation because we do live presentations, and I happened to hear one, and. Um, and I was consuming a lot of pornography at the time, and I had never heard about the harmful effects, you know, using science facts and personal accounts. And so hearing the presentation, yeah. I wanted to do something to build awareness. And so I was about to turn 30 years old. So I, thir- I ran 30 marathons in 30 days wearing handcuffs. And then I got on my bike and rode from Virginia to San Francisco. So I went coast to coast across the United States dragging chains and after that, Fight the New Drug reached out to me and they're like, we want to do a little video on your experience. Then after that, they, they offered me a position to like present. And so I started presenting like five years ago. So we go to like junior highs, high schools and colleges and uh, different community events. And we just 
talk about how pornography can affect individuals' relationships in society. And, um, and then the other role that I have is with the podcast. So we've been running Dude, the you're podcast. a legend. That's incredible. My gosh, it's so casual. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I think I've presented like to 170 audiences in three different countries. And wow. I was just in Louisiana. And the reason why I mentioned that is just because, um, you know, it, it's cool to see that people are discussing this topic. Oh, you yeah. know, we're, we're changing the conversation little by little. And when I say we, I mean not just fight the new drug, but people like yourself and other organizations. So it's pretty cool to, yeah. to see that change happening. Awesome, man. That's so, that's so cool. I'm interested in getting to know you better because I've followed your Instagram for a long time now, and I am impressed um, with, with you, with Ellie, with your brand. It is just an impressive thing that you guys have created. Thank you. I think maybe the best place to start is just with those basic questions, Christian, like where you're from, where you currently reside, and what you do. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm um, originally, actually, I was born in Virginia, uh, but then I moved to Oregon when I was a young, young boy, about five years old, and I grew up in southern Oregon in a really small town called Myrtle Creek. Uh, it's about 3,000 people there at the time, and super small high school, you know, like 100 people in my class sort of thing. And um, now I'm currently in Australia, which is crazy. And if you would have asked me as a kid, if I'd ever imagined myself living in another country, let alone Australia, I don't think I would have ever believed that I could answer that, that I was going to, but here I am. You know? It's funny because when I reached out to you, I don't know why, maybe it was based off your, the name of the brand, 1924 U.S., I just, in my mind, I pictured the brand being located and headquartered within the United States. Yeah, that's right. And when I found out that you live in Australia, when we were going to send you a mic, I was like, wow, that's interesting. So I'm curious how you ended up in Australia. Yeah, so um, my wife is Australian. She was born and raised here. And um, we met in San Francisco, actually, over Instagram, believe it or not. And I was randomly living in Texas at the time and had been in San Francisco uh, for work. And then she came over and uh, we met and subsequently started our journey um, into all of this uh, craziness. This was about six years ago now. And um, about halfway through one of our trips when we were in Scotland, we were abroad uh, photographing for a brand. Um, what happened is Ellie couldn't come back to the United States and we didn't know why they didn't tell us why this is pre COVID and everything. And they were saying that she had done something incorrect and, um, yeah, I don't know. We, 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 we were really caught off guard. We were both ready to board the plane. So I ended up boarding the plane to come back to Portland, Oregon, where I was living at the time with her and she couldn't board the plane. So she was stuck in Scotland anyway. So That's I don't know a if traumatic ever event. had it. <laughs> It's crazy, man. It's it was so interesting to leave her there, and um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but when you when you're in love with someone and and you leave them and you go somewhere and you can't and you know that they can't be there with you, you're like, well, I don't really have any reason to be here yeah. anymore. 
And so it kind of escalated really quickly where uh, I had to get my visa, which was already pending for Australia because we were going through the process of getting married and everything. Um, and so I just ended up moving. I sold everything I owned and, you know, moved over with a small container to Australia. And here I am two, wow. almost three years later. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a story. This is like... She is allowed back. So it's okay now. She's allowed back. <laughs> This story is like more romantic, like more movie-esque to it than like The Notebook, man. <laughs> Wait until you hear the first part of our relationship. I think that's <laughs> where, where it gets pretty unromantic and it gets pretty intense. But it's it's all good things that, that help us grow. So, I, yeah, I'm excited. And Ellie, if I'm not mistaken, she's pregnant, right? She is. Yeah, this is our, our first child. And um, we're both really excited because it's been about two and a half years now that we've been trying to get pregnant and um yeah 17 weeks so we're moving right along that's a big deal yeah good stuff well congratulations on that well i think uh the next thing to know is uh, what you do because i have to i have to tell our audience that i am in awe at what you do because you are very very talented and um so yeah what do you do christian Thanks. So uh, we run a design agency, um, which I guess is what it would mainly be consisted of. But so basically we do a whole bunch of branding and design work for clients around the world. All of the branding is done in traditional uh, motifs. So everything we do is done by hand. Uh, we use pencil and paper to start, rulers, old drafting tables, and basically every traditional asset for uh, old school advertising. And then we obviously modernize it and digitize all of the, the artwork and everything, but it still has got that hand-done feel. Um, and then on top of that, we run a little antique shop uh, in Australia. It's downstairs of our studio. So we like uh, Ellie, she designs dresses and clothing, and um, we design like merchandise and stuff for ourselves, as well as selling antiques and uh, tools for creators. And yeah, we, we do a little bit of everything. We, we write and photograph and just pretty much anything creative you can think of, we, we do it. And I think the reason why I say that I'm in awe with your work is because it's like, I mean that genuinely, because if you go to your Instagram or the website, everything is on brand. It's from, <laughs> from like the pencil you're using to the desk you're, you're drawing at to your shoes, like every single thing is on brand and that is an incredible feat is is yeah. does that come easy to you like does is 1924 is it challenging to be to run 1924 or is this like is it easy because that's that's christian yeah it's interesting so this this kind of has been my life for um 10 years ago this may so it's been kind of interesting since i was a late teenager about 19 years old i've been doing this um and so it feels really natural to me at this stage, but you know, it's funny cause I wear, I wear like all wool clothing and I live in Australia <laughs> yeah. and people are like, people are like, well, for those of you who don't know, Australia is genuinely probably just a big Texas. It's just really hot a lot of the time. And depending on where you are, we're up on the, in Queensland. So it's, it's quite warm here year round and people are like, aren't you just dying in wool clothing? But yeah. you know, I've, I've acclimated really quickly and, um, uh, all those things, I guess we call it curation. We just, we love it. I mean, we have a really simple home and then like our shop is really packed full of goodies. So it's just like this, this lifestyle that we love and buy into. But at the same time, you know, we're 
out here watching you know tv shows and stuff on laptops so it's not like we're living in the stone age or anything it's just a matter of what we present i think comes across because some people look at us driving like a a hyundai tucson and they're like wait what (laughs) you don't draw like a you don't drive a model t ford or something yeah (laughs) that's funny well i watched one of your videos on youtube and it was with you and ellie and uh during this video that i was watching the walls were creaking and you and Ellie were laughing because the walls were creaking so much. And I, I just had to th- think to myself, like, even the walls, like the sound that the walls <laughs> are making are vintage. You know, it's like everything is on brand. It's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it actually gets annoying. I can hear it creaking now, but I'm glad it's not coming through the mic. So how did you come up with the, the name 1924 U.S.? Yeah, so um, when I was a kid, when I was about 17 years old, I was I was about ready to ship off to Boston. Um, I was going to go study architecture school, and my nana, who has passed away about three years ago now, she gave me a uh, little pocket dictionary, and it was uh, from a husband to his wife, and it was dated 1924. And I've always been a big believer in the 20s. I grew up in a, like I said, a small town and it's a timber mill industry. So there's a lot of those old world values where people believe in hard work and they believe in products that last. And um, I always found myself believing in that as well. Like if you buy a product that should last you a long time and 1924 just kind of became like the quintessential representation of that. Um, Now there's a lot wrong obviously with the 20s during that time and a lot of the world at that stage, but uh, I think there was something to be said about the moral values as well as the ethical uh, qualities people had with product development and um, with their work ethics. Well, your brand resonates with me. When I when I see your posts, when I uh, visit your website, I've gone to your website trying to buy something and, and the things were out of stock. So uh, yeah. I'm going to take that as a Start sign me. that you guys are doing all right. Things are selling. Yeah, yeah business has been good. Yeah, that's great. As I was preparing for this conversation, I was going over your Instagram, and one of the recent Instagram posts I saw, there was someone that commented and said, I came for the photos, and I'm staying for the captions. And uh, so my question is, how how does it feel knowing that your Instagram followers are actually reading the captions that you create? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty interesting because I think, especially with things like TikTok and um, all of these new social media apps that kind of take away from our attention spans, in my opinion. Um, I find it actually really kind of amazing and, and genuine of people that they take the time to read what we're writing. And because uh, I know it's not always easy and what we say isn't always correct. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm a big believer in writing. It's one of my favorite things to do. And um, when I pair it up with photographs we love, it's, it's, it's cool. It's kind of like, you know, capturing someone's attention from an image perspective. And then you kind of have a story underneath that either accompanies it or contrasts it. And um, it's pretty special to me that people actually take the time to read our captions, even if they don't always agree with what we have to say. Well, you're a person that uses your platform to speak about topics that are important to you. And as I've followed your Instagram over the course of a couple of years, uh, I've noticed that from time to time, you're a person that speaks out and uses your platform to educate about the harmful effects of pornography and sexual exploitation. Um, why have you decided to use your platform in that way? Yeah. Um, so 
I always found myself, because I don't know if you know this about us, but we, we actually had um, some years ago, I think back in 2017, we had, a, we had another Instagram. And it was called 1924 US as well, actually. And, um, but it had, it had a pretty substantially high following of about, you know, nearly 700,000 followers. Oh, wow. And I did at not the know time, that. Yeah, at the, at the time, I was posting very similar stuff, you know, very much um, interesting photographs and cool antiques. And, you know, it was one of those things that kind of blew up. Uh, I w I've been on Instagram since 2012, since around the first couple of years it came out and um, have been with it to grow. But at the time, um, I actually was in a really deep, uh, sad part of my life, I guess, uh, very depressed and extremely addicted to pornography. And um, one of the things that came out of being with Ellie early on in our relationship was that she discovered I had been unfaithful to her, you know, cheating and stuff. And um, it wasn't just once, it was quite often. And I had only ever assumed that this was a normal part of my life. And it was really hard on her, but she had this amazing outlook on everything where she just had this crazy peace about her. And it was only, you know, what I can describe as being a spiritual peace where she was completely, you know, she wasn't affected by me so much. She was like, she got angry for a second. I was like, you know, what? it's not even worth me because it's, it's not worth it, you know. And um, so she ended up, she was staying with me in Portland at the time, and she ended up flying back to Australia where I had to kind of figure things out myself. And at the stage, um, Instagram had been, for me, like a, an echo chamber. I had easily been able to just kind of present this idealized version of myself that felt like I was getting um, admiration and justification from every angle. When in reality, on, on the inside, I was, you know, quite a terrible guy and not really thinking about other people's feelings. And it had really bred sort of a narcissistic perspective in my life that I didn't realize I had. Um, yeah, and pornography was one of those things. So anyway, so I deleted that Instagram. I decided, you know, I'm not going to let myself buy into this whole thing because the whole, I always speak about authenticness and like trying to be, or authenticity and trying to be a genuine person online, when in reality I was doing the opposite of that uh, to this large following. And so I deleted so the Instagram. You deleted yeah. an Instagram that had 700,000 followers? I did, yeah. And wow. it was, um, it was pretty interesting because at the time um, I, I announced that I was going away and I just saw I mean social media addiction is another thing that we can get into you know I'm sure you would understand that but for me it was such a problem and I didn't realize how much of a problem it was in the society that we are in until I mentioned I was deleting it and then I got like dozens of phone calls and emails and texts people asking me if I could change it over to them that their families were struggling and that they were uh, poor or starving and that if they had access to the following that they could do good in life and it was really crazy That's um, interesting. Yeah, it, it, it blew my mind uh, But so I deleted that and then about Dude, half a year. Oh, sorry. This, sorry. Is, yeah. this is just a wild experience. The fact that you deleted an Instagram that has 700,000 followers because You identified that it was becoming an unhealthy thing for you. I that is impressive. I don't well, know thanks. how many people would do that. I don't think very many people would take the initiative and actually press the delete button, man. That's that's impressive. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, well, it, it's funny you say that because, you know, I, I I hyped it up to be this big deal as well. And I was telling Ellie and I was like, I'm going to delete it. I'm going to delete <laughs> it. And she was like, okay. Like she just did not care. She didn't buy into it. 
And, and I really appreciated her perspective because it was such a grounded perspective. You know, it was like she had always been happy. She had always been present. And I saw this piece in her that I so badly wanted for myself. And I couldn't get it through these, you know, I was trying to obtain it through followers or whatever. Yeah. I had friends who have, you know, 3 million, 4 million followers on Instagram and they're always chasing, ah, oh, I'm so close to getting 5 million. And you're just like, what the heck? Like, yeah. when does this ever stop? And it's right. just chasing it forever. But anyway, so I was like, I'm not going to, you know, disable, um, I think is the term or, you know, where you can temporarily ban your account. I was like, I'm just going to delete it straight up, you know, full stop. Wow. And so that's what I did. And um, anyway, six months later, I started up a new one and I just wanted to focus on my work and my work alone. And um, that's quickly what I did. And, it, you know, for a long time, uh, I, I was kind of concerned that, you know, maybe people were only hiring me or buying products from us because we had a large following and not because they actually liked our work. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, our work only increased, which was amazing as, hmm. you know, we, we would tell clients that we're like, hey, we don't have that Instagram anymore. Like, we don't care. We still want you to work for us. And and that was actually really reassuring because it made me see that it was about the work and not necessarily about the clout, I guess. And um, right. But yeah, so it wasn't until about a year after we had started that Instagram that I decided, you know, my one regret uh, as I went through therapy and uh, psychiatry and counseling and all this stuff, um, which sounds like a lot of work, but actually it was fairly simple. So I decided that I wanted to use my platform now to speak out about really terrible things that were a normal part of my life. Um, at that stage, I was so such a person of sound mind at least that's what I believed and um, I believed porn was normal and uh, now I'm at this point where I had done all this research and heard all of these statistics and all of this studies and you know these one-on-one -on -one accounts and and um, yeah so anyway I, I just decided that I really wanted to bring awareness to, to all this stuff through our new Instagram and um, I'm glad we started well so are we what a journey um, Sorry, <laughs> long story. No, it's great. That was very interesting. Um, one of the questions that came up as you were talking about uh, the Instagram creating some level of arrogance or like narcissistic behaviors, and then you mentioned that pornography was doing something similar to you. Can you yep. talk to that a little bit about how pornography uh, maybe increased your the level of arrogance that you felt? Yeah, so uh, I have to. I think it's important to lead off with. I'm, I'm, I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. Although I think survivor is like such a strong word, and I don't mean to downgrade it um, for anybody else. But as a kid, I was, I was molested um, by another boy, and it was tough because um, I didn't realize at the time how much of a negative impact that would have on me. I was eight years old, and this went on until I was about twelve, and um, I it really changed how I saw sex you know i think it's kind of normal for most people right um, who go through through that experience and for me pornography became a tool that helped me normalize what had happened to me and so rather than trying to understand it from like oh this was wrong i'm trying to explain to myself how it was right and pornography was kind of like my way of of, te of teaching myself that if that makes sense mm -hmm. um and so i think one of those aspects is seeing how men and women are treated in pornography and you're like, oh, okay, so this is how women want to be treated because this is what to them is, you know, arousing or, you know, whatever. I, I, I'm not going to try to use any triggering terminology. But right. basically, um, 
as I grew with Instagram and Instagram kind of grew to be the same thing, I found myself um, finding that I was chasing clout and, um, you know, people really, I guess, giving me validation uh, constantly. So whether it was, you know, friends or girls or whatever, I was constantly trying to be like, do you, do you love me? You know, I guess if you can imagine that's what it is, it's like a little broken kid who wants to be loved, but then that broken kid doesn't know how to ask for that. Yeah. He just is, is kind of chasing what he thinks the world's idea of love is. Mm -hmm. And so that for me came out through Instagram where I was trying to get like, oh, okay, if I have notoriety, then, uh, you know, obviously the world is accepting of me. And pornography is very similar, where is, you know, if, if this is what women want, then I can kind of accept the trauma that I went through, if that makes sense. Yeah. You're a smart individual. I think that uh, identifying that pornography was increasing those types of traits or attributes and then saying, actually, I don't want that in my life. I think that's what this show is all about because the name of the podcast is Consider Before Consuming. So it's like, what is pornography doing in, in considering those things? Right, right. That, that are harmful. So I appreciate yeah, you I sharing those. Of course. And I think I think it's important to note too before I, um, I mean, I appreciate so much <laughs> your kindness and, and every bit of um, kind word you're giving me. But it's also important to note that I, I would say in, in, big part because of pornography um, and because of who I was and led to believe that, you know, I was some great person or whatever. Um, I actually did end up hurting a lot of people in my life and had a lot of unhealthy relationships um, with women. And um, unfortunately, I, I know looking back, like I, I did a lot wrong in relationships that I wish that I could um, I guess take back and so when I think of being on my deathbed and the resentment I have it's it's towards uh, people that were nothing but kind to me who I could not fully open up to because I was only interested in trying to please people sexually or trying to please myself sexually right um, I think you know it's easy to sit here and kind of say oh you know woohoo I've changed and I'm not addicted to porn anymore but the reality is is that the the harms of what uh, has happened as a result of both sexual abuse and of porn use um, has actually propagated a lot of the, the, the trauma that I've then passed on towards other people. And, you know, I've gone back and tried to apologize and make amends where it was possible. But at the same time, I think it's important to start realizing that there is a cycle of trauma and abuse that happens with porn. Um, and that we often don't talk about that. I think we often talk about people as being victims as abuse and abusers, but we don't really look at those two things as possibly synonymous with one another. Right. That's interesting. I think that if I put myself into your shoes, um, the fact that you experienced childhood sexual abuse and you've, you've said that you one reason why you would turn to pornography was to kind of figure that out to cope with that experience or those experiences. Um, and so I hope that you would have a healthy level of empathy for yourself, Christian, because you mentioned, you know, that you've harmed other people because of, because of past relationships. But I think that sometimes pornography and, you know, our past traumas can create walls that sometimes we're not even aware of. 
and um, yeah, those can you know disrupt the potential for a healthy relationship or a healthy connection. And so, for sure, I think it's something that our audience can learn from as well. Is like we need to kind of be kind. We need to be kind and empathetic with ourselves because mm, absolutely. oftentimes we're doing the best we can. We're just trying to cope. Yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right. I think if we didn't have grace for ourselves, there would be no betterment in, in the world because shame is such a strong tool, as you know, with, with porn, porn users especially. I mean, there's this kind of, but it's not just porn use that shame really dictates. I mean, it's anything. It's kind of like this, oh, well, I've already done it, so why not just do it again? I'm already terrible, so why not just continue to be terrible? Whereas grace kind of comes in and gives us the conviction to be like, you know what, actually, I can probably be a better person and I'll feel better and I can end this, you know, so it's that positive outlook versus the negative outlook, uh, I think is really important. So going back to your Instagram, you mentioned that as you opened and and created the new Instagram, um, one of your goals was to use that as a platform to speak to things that are important to you. One of those being pornography. So, the question is, how has that been for you as an influencer, um, speaking to the harmful effects of pornography and sexual exploitation? What types of responses have you gotten from your audience? Well, I'm, I'm sure you can imagine <laughs> the types of them, because we're. I mean, you know, up until even just the last two years, we've been kind of what many would consider a secular, approachable brand. We've been non-religious, unbiased, um, you know, kind of accepting of all walks of life. And the minute that you come in with a polarizing statement like, hey, porn is bad, (laughs) you know, I think one of the first things we said was one of your guys' taglines, which, you know, porn kills love and people would just go ape. I mean, it was it was amazing to see the animalistic nature of defense and offense that came out. You know, people were on our side and having conversations and it was crazy because we get messages from wives who were like, hey, I just decided to bring up your conversation with my husband and then found out that he's addicted to porn and has been cheating and uh, now we're going to counseling. And, and on the other side, you have people being like, you know, pornography is this amazing thing and you're never going to stop. So it's it's a spectrum of acceptance and of rejection as well. Um, and so I think it's just interesting to have the conversation there where anyone can come and talk and I try to monitor as much as I can because people get angry at each other or they get really nasty. You know, yeah. the Internet's a good place for that. <laughs> but uh, mostly I've found that the good outweighs the bad and the potential for change in individuals, especially young teenage boys, is kind of like what I'm hoping to speak to. And I know that women also struggle with um, pornography use, and I don't want to discount that. Right. But I think that a big cause of the ongoing sexual abuse we see in today's society, the reason we have the Me Too movement is because of the slight acceptance or major acceptance we have towards pornography and mainstream media and how that, you know, no one, this is what I always say, no one wakes up one day and decides they want to abuse someone. They don't, they, you know, no one wakes up and just decides they want to go sexually assault somebody. Yeah. It's something that they are training themselves and unlearning empathy in order to do and I think porn use is one of those things it's like oh I've seen it a thousand times for weeks on end and then eventually you're just like oh, I just want to act on this you know so no one wakes up and goes from one to one to a hundred I think there's slow stepping stones and that pornography is a lot of those stepping stones in a uh, 
in in one of your recent posts, I saw that you know I'm one of the people that reads the captions, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I saw that one of the things you said in a recent post was porn is an unethical, disempowering industry that turns its consumers into prisoners. And so I was I wondered if you would be able to talk to that a little bit from your perspective or um, maybe talking to your personal account with porn consumption, why is it that you said that it turns its consumers into prisoners? Yeah, and it's pretty harsh language, I realize. Um, but for me, I so I started using pornography when I was like 14, I think, 14, 15. And I used it for a good portion of my life till I was about 25. And um, it was a darn near everyday experience. I mean, it was very rare I would go a day without pornography. Right. And for some people, they don't have this uh, addictive personality towards things like pornography or alcohol or cigarettes, whatever, you know. Um, and for others, they do. And so I think it, there's there's a lot of room in between. And so when I say pornography turns its consumers into into prisoners. Um, what I mean is to say that the people who use it so constantly without ever checking whether or not if it's harmful or positive for them, I find that they're the real prisoners because, you know, you kind of accept the state that you're in when you're a porn addict, in my opinion. You kind of are just like, oh, this is just who I am. And it's not until you question yourself that you realize how much of a prisoner to it you really are. And I always say, you know, try the two-week challenge, which is can you go two weeks without even looking at pornography? And um, it's pretty interesting to see how, how many people can't go 14 days without yeah. porn. Yeah, I think that generally speaking, I think a lot of us live in complacency and in impulsivity. And I think you're totally right that when it comes to an individual and their habits and their routines, it's challenging to see that that reality that you are living in impulsivity or compulsivity. How did That's you right. finally, did you, I guess the one question I have actually, speaking of the 14 day challenge, the two week challenge, when was the first time you tried that and did you accomplish the 14 days on your first try? Yeah, so the first time I tried that, I think, was in August or October of 2015. Um, I think, no, sorry, that's not right. 20, 2017 now, yeah. So I'm on my fourth year uh, free of porn, which is pretty awesome. Um, you know, I, I sound like I'm like an alcoholics anonymous, <laughs> and I realize like porn is so so mainstream now that talking about it as like an addiction is such an interesting thing because a lot of people don't really want to accept it yet as an addiction but um i i know it is anyway so so i'm about three almost four years clean and i remember in 2017 i um i had tried or 2017 yeah i tried to uh stop and couldn't um and i ended up going to a church group called 423 Ministries. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or no, not. No, I haven't. Um, and this guy had written this book. I can't remember his name. Um, and the book was called Pornea, which was, uh, you know, the Greek word, obviously, for porn. And it was a really good little step-by-step -step book, you know, recovery book of, like, how to stop pornography. And so he's got these these little groups all, all across America, and they're mainly church-based. And um, 
they were about, you know, having a good support network of men around you to help you quit pornography. So I'd go to these groups every Tuesday and uh, go into this group of roundtable where everyone would kind of bring their story to light. I remember we had this one guy in my class and he was 82 years old. Oh, and wow. I just thought, and I thought to myself, you know, it's such a crazy idea to me to think that you're 82 years old and you're addicted to pornography and you and you feel that enough that and, and I just realized I was like I don't want I don't want that to be me and so where I found myself struggling in this group was every week someone would come in and be like oh I slipped up over the weekend and oh I did this and so I just realized I was like man I, don't, I just don't want to slip up anymore and I understand having grace and compassion for yourself through this process is so important uh, but for me, conviction and cutting it off was was almost slightly more important. And um, so I ended up, you know, going two weeks and then four weeks and boom, pretty soon, three months. And then you're like, well, if I've gone three months, why not six months? Six months, why, why not a year? And then, it, then now, I mean, now I'm almost four years in. And um, that's not to say that pornography isn't the most easy. I mean, it's so easy. You open a tab and you just click a button you know right. <laughs> I mean it's that simple um, but for me now I'm just like okay let's continue to speak out about this and, and research it to understand you know why this is a problem so continuing the conversation is that one of the things that helps you stay away from pornography consumption yeah it's interesting because it's it's important to know that activism shouldn't be used as kind of like a scapegoat for you know you shouldn't be like oh I'm <laughs> I'm I'm addicted and I am trying to hide away from it by being on the opposite end of the spectrum because you know what they say the the closest thing to love is hate and so you know you don't want to you don't want to come full circle and it's so close when you're when you're constantly in this realm especially talking about pornography and even some of the responses I get I mean you get emails where people are trying to send you I have people who try to tag me in pornographic images try to tag you know send us Instagram messages with pornographic images and um, it doesn't happen much but it's it, once is kind of enough to, to be like that's a really weird thing for someone to do like yeah. if you knew someone was openly an alcoholic you wouldn't be like here have this glass of wine totally so <laughs> it's like an interesting concept um, but yeah so for me I, I like to speak about it not because um, it helps me stay away from it um, because that conviction to me should exist separately. But because I've had the conviction to break free, I kind of want to now bring awareness to it to help others kind of see for themselves the harms that it, that it can cause, because they might, they might not know. Right. As I've consumed a lot of your content, I've heard you talk on inner peace. And... Uh, I just want to know if you can talk to what impact pornography had on your inner peace. Yeah, so one of the things, and I don't do not recommend this, if I can, <laughs> um, <laughs> if I can say that right off the bat, is um, Ellie. So I, I'm not close with my family, not super close. I mean, I love them all, but you know, I, I moved out when I was 14, and um, so I've always been kind of very independent and individualistic, and you know. If, if someone ditches me in life, it doesn't really hurt my feelings. I'm kind of like, cool, burn that bridge and move on, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but nowadays, it's, it's much different. So with Ellie, Ellie was the first person who I really, truly cared about in terms of her opinion and everything. And um, 
you know, so I went to her right off the bat and told her everything that I struggled with in relation to pornography, which, as you know, Garrett, I mean, it's <laughs> outside of the world of just looking at pornography. Uh, when you go out into normal everyday life, everything is all of this sudden objectified. And because of the way pornography trains your mind and the showcase of so much of the porn online is like, innocent situations that lead to sexual, you know, I guess, expansion. And so for me, you know, it's like if you're in a grocery store and you see a girl or see a man or whatever, I mean, it's like everything is sexualized. It's crazy. And so I would tell Ellie, you know, every, every instance that I was struggling with and Ellie would be like, oh my gosh, because she couldn't even wrap her head around it. You know, she didn't understand how someone could view people like that. Right. And it took it took me a long time <clears throat> to really kind of because I feel I felt alone in, in my fight. Right. Um, and it took me a long time to realize this is a lot of people who are spending every moment of their life kind of addicted to sexualizing and objectifying people in every manner of the word. And um, I, I think people don't even realize, I didn't even realize how often it happened to me. And it wasn't until that I t took a step back from pornography that I was like, whoa, this is like in my face, like oh, everywhere yeah. I go. And uh, <laughs> it's a big, it's a big step back. And, and that's one you know, of the, I, think that, yeah. well, I was just going to say, that's one of the, uh, I guess one of the key indicators that someone is experiencing a compulsive sexual behavior is that preoccupation with it. Kind of like what exactly. you're saying. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly, I mean, the fact that it was consuming my mind to such a degree that I couldn't even like go out anywhere without feeling like that was on my mind. I was just like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> it's yeah. such a learning lesson and it's kind of amazing and it's, it's, it's incredible to learn what our brains are capable of tricking us into doing in order to make us feel good. And, and, and it's so important. It's like exercise and I hate exercise. Dude. I mean, <laughs> let me tell, I mean, I'm not going to run 30 marathons in 30 days, like a kudos to, to you, yeah. but, um, they say I, the, closest, I think... the closest thing to hate is love, I guess. So you really <laughs> do love exercise. <laughs> You just don't yeah. know it yet, Christian. Yeah. Just oh joking. goodness. So, yeah. So I love exercise, but um, maybe it's a different mental exercise. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah. So for me, it was it was really the showcase of discipline. You know, coming out of a pornography addiction, it was like because because porn, unlike uh, cigarettes or or anything else that's got addictive qualities to it. Um, Porn is one of those things. So, so people say, you know, you can be addicted to video games. You can be addicted to TV. You could be addicted, you know, whatever. So I get all that stuff. But the intent of pornography is really where the problem lies. And so in my opinion, the commodification of people should never exist. And we, we're doing that. And people try to, you know, traditionalize it by saying, oh, it's been around for thousands of years and blah, 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 blah. But the truth is, is it's nothing is as accessible as pornography. Yeah. And if pornography, its intention is the commodification of humans, whereas like t television and, you know, video games and all this stuff have those negative effects, whatever, sure, it's more about the user that it, that it you know, negatively implicates, whereas uh, with pornography, it's, it's not just the user, it's actually the people on the other side as well. And the fact that the product is free. So there's a lot of different assets coming at it, you know, for, from different perspectives where you're like, oh, this is this is wrong from that perspective and from this perspective and from that perspective. And you can kind of see, you know, it's not just 
oh, I use porn and I'm addicted and no one else can get addicted and, you know, everyone's consenting online and it's all good and fun and, you know, it's free. It's actually like, it's crazy how, how unregulated and how available pornography is and how obviously all these new studies are coming out about um, pornography and its effects, especially on children. Um, and so it's interesting because you wouldn't give your eight-year-old a cigarette and if your kid wanted to smoke, they would have to go out of their way to steal it, you know, but with pornography, I mean, we would, we, we could go to the library, the public library. I remember how to like get past proxy walls and stuff in order to look <laughs> at it when I was a kid. Yeah. So, I mean, kids, kids, are, you know, everyone wants to blame the parents firsthand, I think, but really it's children who are just curious. And obviously we need to educate our children. I think what, what you guys are doing, Fight the New Drug is doing is so amazing because you guys are giving the tools uh, to, to parents, especially to educate children and to educate themselves on the, the harmful use of pornography. I'm sorry if I got totally way off track, but no, <laughs> that's, kind that's, of, great. that's kind of, it was yeah. great. Yeah, you're right. I think one of the common perspectives when it comes to pornography if you have someone who is more pro pornography just like you said one of their arguments might be well porn's been around forever but i think you hit the nail on the head because yes pornography's been around forever and ever but the ease of access and the privacy hasn't been and right. uh, i think that's why we that's why they've been named the organization, when I say we, I mean the founders of Fight the New Drug named the organization Fight the New Drug because it is new in a sense because of the technology, because of the ease of access. Yeah, I mean, it's exponentially grown at rates that, you know, we can't even comprehend. Well, I want to get your perspective on what a person can do to address unwanted porn consumption because a portion of our listeners are stuck in the shame cycle and or experiencing unwanted porn consumption. What tips do you have for those experiencing that at this time? Yeah, so earlier you had asked me a bit about inner peace. And for me, where that comes from is just trying to do right by others. It is my belief that you cannot do right by yourself, um, especially by yourself when you're addicted to pornography. And I find that a lot of people don't believe that they are addicted to pornography uh, when they're using it so normally. And I think that inner peace, in order to achieve it, you have to kind of put into perspective and put into check the things that you do on a daily basis. What music are you listening to? What shows are you watching? What are your habits? You know, everything. And, and I think all of these little habits uh, really make up our, this, are, are the makeup of our life and our daily lives. Um, and so I find that if you listen to sad songs 24-7, you know, which I used to do, uh, <laughs> you find that you're actually pretty miserable. I don't know if you've ever felt that connection, but then it's like we've almost glorified, uh, you know, certain situations because of the habits that we refuse to break. We kind of like love the idea of romance, romance and heartbreak and sadness. And, and I think porn is very similar where we've kind of romanticized this idea that, hey, listen, if I'm single... Or, you know, even if I'm in a relationship and my wife can't or my girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever, they can't give me what I'm what I'm wanting, then at least I can kind of, you know, get off and, you know, watch some pornography or, or whatever. And to me, I think the minute that we start using a product in order to fulfill a need, 
uh, we have to be really careful of what that product is. And pornography is a product that we absolutely use to fulfill a need and a, and a desire that, that we have. Uh, and so for me, to, if I could give any advice, it would just question. Question why you're using pornography. Are you using it too much? Because no one, no one should sit here and say, oh, porn is so terrible and it's going to kill you. And, you know, it's so easy to go that route. And I'm as anti-porn a person can be. But at the same time, I understand that it comes down to, you know, uh, supply and demand. Now, if you're demanding something in your day-to-day -day or using it, you know, you're obviously not supplying it yourself, but you are, you know, cultivating the demand for it. So just ask yourself what that looks like. And if you realize, you know, try that two-week challenge. And if you think maybe I have an addiction, try that two-week challenge. And then if you can't, if you can't get past it, maybe there's a problem. And maybe we need to start researching and taking the time to understand, you know, what are the not just inward effects of pornography use, which is easy to start there, um, but the outward use uh, problems as well of pornographies yeah that's great stuff um i think that's a great challenge to start with that two-week challenge um so yeah, yeah short simple yeah. <laughs> yeah i love it because i think people will say like you know try a 30-day challenge or something but i mean in today's generation try try to get anyone to do anything for 30 days i'm not yeah. gonna do it <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah you talked about how our, our attention spans you know are getting shorter and shorter because yeah. everything's so quick and so much information and so anyway yeah that makes sense i like that that two week yeah period. yeah i think i i think one of the a good showcase too of where we are as society is you know I, in 2017 i drove to alaska or 2016 i drove to alaska and i drove to alaska in a 1987 wagoneer with nothing but my dog and I promised myself I wouldn't use my phone so I didn't take a phone I wouldn't use anything digital I just took film cameras and um, I wouldn't stay in hotels or anything you know I would just absolutely cut myself off from all technology and I made it 17 days um, before I almost had a mental breakdown which wow. is crazy because at, at that time I was addicted to porn and um, I remember getting back uh, and as I was driving from Alaska to Oregon um, I stopped in Idaho and I went to a Walmart <laughs> and at the Walmart I checked into the fa my Facebook on the display iPad in order to <laughs> use in order to use social media and contact uh, my Ellie and my girlfriend at the time and you know she's my wife now obviously um, but I remember I was so desperate to be back in control of this you know impulse yeah and it was, and that's not even the crazy thing, is the addiction is obvious, but the thing that blows my mind is, I wrote a book on this, and um, the amount of people who told me I was brave for going 17 days without a phone was staggering. <laughs> I mean, to think that it's, like, I mean, bravery in my book is like storming a village as one person, and like, you know, you're trying to do right and rescue people who are, you right. know, trapped, or like, that's true bravery, but people are like, you're so courageous for going <laughs> for, for 17 days without a phone. It's like, that's just mind-boggling to me, but that's where we are. I mean, that's where we are, where we think that, where you sacrifice your self-desires is considered bravery is just baffling. Yeah, that's interesting. When I rode my bike across the United States, I put the goal to not listen to any music or any Ooh. podcasts or anything audio. So it was just me in the road. And yeah. uh, I was able to do it until I got to Kansas. 
because <laughs> because Kansas, Kansas absolutely <laughs> I love Kansas actually but when you're riding your bike the winds the headwind and the straight roads forever and ever and ever I ended up breaking down and listened to some music so yeah anyway, it's, it's my crazy. it's my 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 me going across Kansas is like you going into Walmart searching for that iPad yeah, one of those sounds really heroic, and the other one not so much. <laughs> that's funny. Well, Christian, is there anything that I didn't ask, or anything that's kind of you know uh, thoughts that you wanted to share but haven't had the opportunity to share them yet? Yeah. So if 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 I could just speak to um, you know, so I'm I'm going to be 29 this month, um, and I used porn, like I said, from when I was about 14, 15, for about 10 years of my life. And in that 10 years, I could not hold a relationship to save my life. And in that 10 years, I was so self-focused with with mishandling my own trauma and things that I went through as a kid. And things that I wanted out of partners, I should have gotten from you know, my parents or whatever. So I'm one of those sensitive kids that grew up. And as a man, it's a weird world to be in as a sensitive male, because, you know, the whole premise of being masculine in today's society is to be responsible for everything. And you feel like you're to blame. So men, though, we are the majority of porn consumers, we are absolutely the majority of sexual abusers, we are the majority of human trafficking buyers. So I think it's important to recognize as a man that you have every ability and every, every power in you to take absolute discipline over your life and to restructure how men are perceived. And it's not going to happen overnight. But if you can change it from a personal perspective where you are putting yourself last in order to take care of other people, I think, I think that's a really big step into hopefully healing a broken world. But also it's so important that you know, we're not just focusing on how victims feel, but how perpetrators should change their behavior in order to set examples for the future. Yeah. I love learning about masculinity and femininity. I am most definitely not an expert, but I love learning about those things. And as a man who is striving for optimal health, I think about masculinity often. And I think that some of the traits that are traditionally viewed as being masculine in Western society can be misunderstood, especially by men. Yeah. For example, one of the traits that is traditionally viewed as being masculine in Western society is independence. One way that some men can misunderstand that trait is by thinking that independence means that they can't ask for help and that they have to do everything themselves. But that same person might have a dependency to pornography. You see, in in my opinion independent doesn't mean that you can't ask for help it doesn't mean that you do everything yourself independence means that you're free from impulsivity and compulsivity you see a, a man can't claim to be independent and have a dependency to pornography yeah absolutely in my mind that's a contradiction yeah 
Absolutely. I mean, I think you're exactly right. And I think with pornography, especially, it warps the introspection that we have, you know, the, the time where, and I'm sure you understand, like, coming from porn addiction, you spend so much time after the fact when you're not looking at porn, thinking about how you looked at porn. Yeah. And so it's actually, it really controls so much of your thought space already, right. even when you're trying to break free. And so you need to be aware that, uh, like you said, masculinity isn't about the fact that we don't need help. It's about admitting that sometimes we do need help. And it's not just on you to try to figure it all out because you're not going to have the answers. <laughs> not I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. No one does. Um, so, But if we can take time to listen to each other and hear each other out, maybe we can hopefully set a better example for generations to come. Right. And we can venture onward. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I use the phrase venture onward, but a portion of our listeners will not get that reference. And I know we are finishing up the convo here, but I think we should take a minute to give that context. Can, yeah. can you talk to what that phrase means to you? So Venture Onward has been our tagline for probably the last eight years. And the idea was, <laughs> ironically enough, came about like, and I was in the middle of a porn addiction, but Venture Onward is uh, my hope that no matter what, um, I will always strive for betterment in my own life. And our hope for the brand is that as it continues to grow, we also will strive for betterment. And so Venture Onward is always this idea of progressing, not necessarily in the traditional sense of what it means to be progressive, but what it means to, to live a better and healthier life for not just yourself, but for those around you as well. And so that's why Venture Onward is kind of one of those, you know, it's what's tomorrow and how can I be better tomorrow, um, you know, as opposed to how I was yesterday. Yeah. Well, this conversation has inspired me to venture onward. So you're doing your job. You're living up to your mission statement there. Thanks, man. That, that's exciting. I, I, I honestly just love the opportunity to be able to speak. And, you know, hopefully other men can just, especially young guys, can see, hey, you know what? You can live your life. You can go out and try. And you're going to make mistakes. And, you know, porn is not the be-all, end-all for you. Um and it never should be. And if you feel like you're trapped forever, man, there's always there's always better options. Always. Well, thanks for uh, joining us today, Christian. It was our pleasure, and um, we are so grateful for your time. Thank you, Garrett. Looking for a way to spread awareness on the harms of porn? Why not rep the movement in one of our conversation starting tees? With over 20 tees and various designs and phrases, you're bound to find something that speaks to you and will spark conversations with others. And the proceeds help to mobilize this movement. Get your gear today at ftnd.org forward slash shop. That's ftnd.org forward slash S-H-O-P. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Consider Before Consuming. Consider Before Consuming is brought to you by Fight the New Drug. Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science facts and personal accounts. If you want to learn more about today's guest and the conversation we had, you can check out the links included with this episode. Again, big thanks to you for listening to this conversation. As you go about your day, we invite you to increase your self-awareness, look both ways, check your blind spots, and consider before consuming.